Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This week, I'm your host, Tyler Bird. I'm a senior DevOps engineer at Cengage Learning, and I'm joined today by two very interesting guests, Anupam Kunkarni and Aniruddha Bhagwat. Uh, Anupam is our CEO from the company we're talking about today called Iro. Um, and uh, Aniruddha is a board member and marketing advisor of Iro So I just want to take a moment to have, have you guys introduce yourselves to the listeners and uh, then we can get started on today's topic. Sure. So move on. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, Anirudh? Yeah, go ahead. Why don't you, yeah, let's have you go first. Uh, so thank you, Tyler. Thank you for having us here. Uh, so hi, uh, everyone. I am Anupam Pulkarni, uh, CEO of Iro Systems. Uh, and here we are here to discuss about certain interesting uh, topics on DevOps and especially how DevOps fails in, in large-scale organizations. That's something which we are looking forward to. Over to you, Anirudh. Yes. So, yes, Tyler, thank you so much for having us part of this, uh, of your podcast. It's an excellent title, by the way, Adventures in DevOps, because we ourselves have had quite an adventure uh, exploring what we can, uh, what we can do with DevOps and, and some interesting um, innovations and experimentations that we are going to talk about today uh, that we worked on at IRO. So thank you once again and, and, and look forward to this uh, chat that we're going to have. Yeah, me too. We've actually discussed this a little bit uh, before and many times our standard format is to invite somebody in and we'll do a little bit of research as panelists and we'll have one guest on, but this time we're kind of flipping the script and uh, uh, we've done a, a bit of prep work and we have two, two guests with one panelist. And um, that's because you guys are, are based in India, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, but your reach is, is global. It's worldwide. Right. Yeah, so we, we, cater to, yeah. uh, we do cater to uh, uh, global clientele uh, spread across the globe. And we've had some interesting uh, ideas uh, and, and projects uh, to probably share on. Are you building applications with Vue.js? then you need to check out the Views on View podcast. Every week, we bring in a guest panelist from the View community and talk about the interesting things being built with View or the changes coming in its ecosystem. You can find it all at viewsonview.com. Yeah, so tell me more about your journey into DevOps. So I think one of the, you know, what I, what I would say is that uh, as a company, uh, when, uh, when Anupam and, and, and Nilesh, the co-founder, started the company, they started it with a vision to build great products uh, and great technology products. And I think that um, over the years, uh, we've, they've been able to help a lot of companies being able to take a, a single line idea and move it into a scalable solution, right? Uh, and uh, multiple times, and we've seen across our history that uh, we've really been uh, or wanting to be ahead of the curve when it comes to really the next-gen products and next-gen user experience that we want to deliver uh, through the products that we're creating. Um, and I think our journey uh, most recently has, has stumbled upon us actually putting together through our learnings of, of exploring DevOps, uh, an actual DevOps engine that we use internally to actually deliver uh, the custom products to our customers much faster and much better, um, automating many of the redundancies that are there and, and really focusing on how can we give a great developer experience to our team because we realize if we can create a great environment and a great experience to the developers, they will come out with a great product. And, and, and obviously the way that we look at an IRO of, of trying to inculcate design thinking in everything that we are doing, um, that means not just design thinking for the end user, but design thinking for the customer, the business, the developer, you know, every, every audience and every actor who's going to play a role in building that product. Uh, and that's allowed us to kind of build our platform, which we call OrOps, which, which is really helping us to deliver more products, uh, and more solutions than we have before, just because of the speed that it enables, uh, because of the automation, etc. Yeah, um, and the ROPS that we'll be talking more about later um, has a lot of benefits over, say, the traditional model. Um, what benefits do you think that ROPS has over the traditional model? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Anupam, you can, you can come in on this. Okay. So, uh, from from the ROPS point of view, uh, so what we uh, figured out, and and looking back at our experience uh, of working on multiple uh, customer projects, uh, right from top to bottom, what we understood is uh, uh, 
as 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 a business leaders in the organization, uh, it was difficult for us to really uh, keep a track of uh, the projects happening across the company, uh, where the 70, uh, 70 80 plus uh, team members were working and delivering uh, solutions day in and day out, day out for the end consumers. At the same time, uh, there were a lot of redundant operations uh, and unproductive tasks which the development teams uh, were bounded by. So what we understood is uh, we wanted to solve this as a problem, and hence we came out with the platform uh, where one we have now a standardized DevOps, uh, or DevOps practices across the entire organization. So that's one of the benefits. Uh, the other benefits is so the knowledge which goes into individual uh, customer projects. For automation and DevOps, get shared across the teams. So hence, we create ended up creating uh, a technology pipeline tool chain. So that's another benefit we we come out across. And the third uh, angle is um, we can actually uh, quantify and analyze individual team members uh, based upon their performance. Also compare them within various Scrum teams, and also compare uh, team members or developers' performance across projects. That is another benefit which has, uh, which is what we have got, and, and that's how we stitch this end-to-end platform. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so, so what I'm hearing is there's a lot of uh, stuff where you've reduced the chaos, reduced re- redundancies, um, and then also uh, are enabling your individual developers and uh, helping them. I think a way to grow, some people can be naturally afraid of metrics as a way to grow for personal development, meaning, oh, you guys are turning me into a number. But, you know, there's always the human element to it. And I think that that's, that's the other side of DevOps is it's not technology, it's, it's also culture, right? Um, and from the white paper that I read, you know, and the talks that we've had, I, I know that you guys understand that DevOps is a cultural change first and then a technological change. Um, you know, what challenges have you guys faced both either internally or externally trying to transform cultures? Well, I think I, think I would start off, and, and Anupam, you can come in on this, but the biggest challenge that, uh, that we usually face, and again, another, another point of ORPS also, which, which highlights to this challenge, is visibility. Right? How are we able to uh, give observability and visibility to everybody down the chain where, where somebody who's managing this entire solution can be able to see real time what's going on and have that, have that view. But um, I think the biggest uh, challenge that we face working with uh, organizations is that when we usually work with large organizations, it's the traditional mindset that we have to kind of overcome. Right. Uh, I think that that is, uh, you know, the, from a DevOps perspective, uh, their size sometimes is the biggest hindrance. A size of an organization is the biggest hindrance because you have to kind of culturally change each and every, um, uh, you know, person's thinking and, and teams working, etc. Essentially, it at times becomes easier to work with smaller startup companies in, in DevOps, and that's probably why it's been it's been penetrated further there. Um, but I think the traditional mindset. I think that the inability of them to understand that thing, aspects such as security, such as performance, such as testing, they come at top. It's not it's not something that happens post a, a sprint. It, it happens in the sprint, and 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 it's that's the that's the cultural change and the mindset and attitude change that you have to bring in. So um, that is that is the second point. And and a lot of organizations also believe that you know we've seen that a bigger challenge is just getting the right third-party tools is DevOps. And that's not DevOps. I mean, that's just building a tool chain. I think, I think there's, there's much more to that. And, and I think uh, when it comes to the continuous improvement and feedback uh, portion of it, Anupam, if you could come in on that, because that, that, that's a challenge that we face as well in terms of customer expectations of what DevOps can offer. And if they don't have the right culture, why it doesn't offer that? And why, why it doesn't deliver that? Uh, right. So, so thanks, Anirudh. On that point, uh, why continuous feedback is important uh, well, when we are implementing the DevOps is because uh, the data needs to flow back. When we roll out a solution or a, or a, a software into production, how it is performing in real time? Are there any failure points? Is, are there any issues within the production ecosystem? Do we have to roll it back? So all these feedbacks uh, have an importance along with the compliances and the security and, and the testing reports which have gone while this uh, solution got delivered into production. This has to come back to the team. 
uh, and has to get automated because that's another area where organizations face challenges. So when we say automated, uh, the feedback coming back from a particular release or a feature going out into, uh, into the engine and automatically getting created into a ticket and uh, also automatically getting assigned to that particular development team members so that uh, they understand, okay, they have to improve in these processes. One more area of challenge which we have observed uh, within this large, large organization and which aligns again back to the feedback is um, uh, there is actually a misalignment between the business outcomes and what the development teams uh, actually deliver. And that's, that's, that mismatch or the misalignment uh, usually ends up uh, like losing the shared common business goals. And that's one of the challenges which you have observed in large-scale organizations. Right. So for the listeners to kind of keep up with this, because I've already talked to you guys a few times now, um, I want to bring them in and make, it, make them aware that ROPS, spelled A-U-R-O-P-S, um, is the tool chain and the DevOps codified, right, that you've, that you've developed, that you use internally as you build products and that you also give this process to other people as a product, correct? Absolutely. So, so our ops uh, as a platform, uh, so what we have ended up building with our own experience uh, and, and eating our own dog food, that's how we call it, is uh, we understood our own problems, build an end-to-end -end platform uh, which stitches together various tools at the back end, uh, various technologies, uh, but also gives you a single uh, window into the entire uh, DevOps process, right from requirement gathering till development, uh, testing, automation, as well as uh, deployment into production. So that's how uh, we have built it. Obviously, it also has tool chains, uh, so automation from the infra layer, automation uh, from the environment setup layer. The branching logic is one of the key area which you have observed is a challenge for the development teams. And, and what we recommend is uh, we have templatized that in the platform itself. So you choose the right template and the branching logics, logic is abstracted for you as a development team. That's one more area which we have automated. And top of it, uh, you bring on the, as Anirudh mentioned, you bring on the unit testing and security testing and performance testing as much to the left. So you, you achieve the left shift uh, and uh, implement these areas upfront. So that's an, another area which we have achieved in this as a platform. On the other side, uh, in our office, we also have uh, implemented our own custom uh, dashboard. Again, it came from our own experiences. We have built custom dashboards, uh, whether they are catering to the DevOps metrics and clubbing it together with the agile metrics. So then uh, what we're talking about is frequency of delivery. This is one aspect of it, but quality of every delivery along with the features, uh, features and the releases. And also uh, being able to uh, have an, uh, an ability uh, to uh, drill down to the development ROI to the individual team member or to the scrum team. Uh, that's something which we have achieved. Again, this came from our own experiences and we built it for uh, us. And with that as an experience at the back, uh, once, uh, once uh, this product was working fine for us, our platform was working fine, we also uh, rolled it out to uh, some of our uh, large scale customers and uh, they are also getting benefit out of this. So, so that's in short uh, a journey. And maybe Anirudh, we want to add something on, on top of this. No, I think uh, I think Anirudh, you've covered it. And I think one thing that I would say is that when Aurox was built and, and us kind, of, and I wanted to kind of maybe I want maybe you can highlight this journey of what was the empathy stage in terms of what is we we know uh, Tyler. What we did is that we we kind of asked the question to our team, right? What's what's keeping business and technology up at night? Right, uh, because we want to solve that. We want to get them a good night's sleep. And, and and what's really keeping them up is tech efficiency, transparency, process, visibility, business. And, and again, Anupam highlighted that, that that not missing the business bus while you're trying to while you're trying to look at this. So uh, I think that that and also the slow recovery that oftentimes happens uh, in projects that when you're when you're trying to roll back, etc. How can I quickly do this and Anupam spoke about shift left, but Anupam, can you speak about before ORops happened and, and you know our experience over the years of working in DevOps? Um, what is the type of 
problems or challenges that technologists usually come up to us with or, or, or entrepreneurs come up with saying that, look, this is what we want to solve and, and maybe, maybe highlight a little bit on that. Uh, right, right. So uh, prior to DevOps or prior to our ops, uh, so in, in our experience uh, while working uh, for our customers, uh, what we observed uh, is uh, the customers focusing on uh, in, in the in the entire uh, implementation cycle, customers focusing on certain different areas rather than understanding uh, it as a holistic. For example, uh, agility. If you, if you take that. Uh, we had an experience while working with one of the one of the giants giant e-commerce company, uh, where um, uh, we had to roll out uh, a solution which a web solution and e-com solution which had multi language support. And just because uh, the customer was focusing on agility, that they they were they were wanted to release a feature as soon as possible. That was the entire uh, thought process. And this was prior DevOps or, or understanding that as an ecosystem. So what happened is uh, they failed to understand that speed is not everything. And in the, in, the, in the entire velocity, what we ended up doing is we missed one particular support uh, for one key uh, language area. And that caused us uh, to roll back the entire solution. Now, when we rolled back, obviously we had to fix the issue and then redeploy it. And uh, it cost efforts and uh, and uh, time wastage. Uh, so what we need, to, what what we faced, or what what is our experience from that is, uh, DevOps really uh, amalgamates all these things together. So it's not just the agility, but also the quality first. So if you can bring on the quality or testing upfront in the cycle, and uh, apply the continuous quality with feedback mechanism in your DevOps cycles or multiple sprints. Within the, within the gradual progression of various sprints, you reach a level where automatically your speed increases and hence you achieve agility. So you have to think holistically, like call it continuous quality with feedback and agility automatically comes over the period of time. And that is what we observe. So, so prior to this uh, DevOps and the our ops, uh, uh, we, we face this challenge. A lot of our customers face, uh, as, as I mentioned, the use case of the e-com uh, customer, we face those challenges and then, uh, we actually, uh, after the after releasing out our ops, uh, this actually uh, changed the entire game where agility and, and uh, quality aligned together. Have you thought about learning to do native iOS development? Are you using Swift at work? Or maybe you've considered writing applications for macOS. We have a podcast that covers all of that called iFreaks. We have a new panel and a lot of exciting things to talk about. So come check us out at iFreaksShow.com. Wow, that's really awesome. Um, I can see that as kind of like a, a circle, you know, like a, or even the um, infinity sign where it's like, you need to have a quality to the, to then lend into the agility, because if you don't have quality and there's a problem, you have to go backwards, right? Yes, you can't, absolutely. you can't keep going forwards and just immediately keep pressing forward. Uh, it's like not, it's like having a, a gas pedal, but no brake pedal in your car, you know, you need both. Right. And, uh, you're going to get there more safely if you use both uh, the right way. So, um, one of the things, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you guys about, um, was some of the things I really admired about the ROPS platform is that, uh, it's, it's got a really flexible balance between opinions and options. And so what I mean by that is like when the option is I can use pretty much most of the main Git vendors, GitHub, GitLab, uh, Bitbucket, you know, those are all great options to have and they all have APIs. So you've written stuff to your APIs for that, but then opinions maybe more around like, all right, let's just put it in Docker and put it on Kubernetes. Cause that's kind of the de facto's that, that are that have coalesced here. Um, so I admired that about, the, the platform, um, but we've all, we've also talked about how, from an operator's standpoint, you're focusing on giving operators you know a better night's sleep because it already has uh, testing and security built in to the process as well. Um, so one of the questions that occurred to me as we were uh, discussing all this stuff is, what's the smallest company that you've onboarded before? 
do you only go after the big companies or um, do people only larger companies? You know, give me kind of a range of what uh, from small to I'm more interested in small. I assume that you would work in, in large places if they're willing to listen and willing to adopt it. But what's one of the smallest companies that you work with? So I think before before Alpha comes in and kind of speaks about specific examples, I, I would like to say that for us, it's the idea that we are really socialized, right? Um, we it doesn't matter from whom it's coming with. We are, we are in the business of creating a product out of uh, you know a scalable solution out of an idea. So sometimes uh, and, and especially in our history, some of the coolest ideas have come from small teams, two three people who just said, hey, this is what we want to do. Whether they're trying to disrupt education, whether they're trying to disrupt you know. Uh, I would say pre Netflix of the world and 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 pre uh, you know and pre Google Maps of the world. There's a lot of companies who had these ideas that we've kind of worked with, um, and and we've been able to build a lot of product suites across industries. And that's Tyler something that's very interesting is that we never necessarily focused on a particular domain. We focused on the passion behind the idea. So what happened was that we were able to actually build uh, a good portfolio of product suites across industries, whether it is you know, hospitality, education, health, retail, I mean, you, you name it, right? We are right now working with, with a large e-commerce player, but even with the smaller players, that's what we've been able to do. Uh, and, and we've been able to really get them to, because of building that product, get them to not only accelerate their business and give a better experience, but at times even help them to use technology as a lever to pick up investments for them to grow. Uh, to use technology as a lever for them to attract better talent, to use technology as a lever for them to map out their own product map. So we've really been uh, on a journey with some of these ideas and some of these teams. But good question in terms of what are some of the smaller teams that we work with, because because that's really what uh, what we're looking at in terms of start, you know disrupting. But Anupam, maybe you want to talk about a couple of cases of, of small teams and, and very very disruptive ideas and products we built for them. Uh, right, right. So, so Tyler, uh, your specific question was, uh, what is the small team size which you have onboarded on this platform? So, uh, currently we are working with uh, one of the customer who has a team of around uh, 15 people, uh, one five, 15 people. And uh, the interesting uh, idea which which we are trying to disrupt for them uh, is uh, we have actually uh, creating an entire in-store uh, infotainment and engagement platforms within the, the, the bars and the restaurants and the discotheques. And uh, those inventory is connected uh, to a scalable platform, which is again uh, based upon microservices. So we've actually onboarded a team of, uh, of a company, uh, which is uh, spread across, uh, obviously it's, it's an, uh, spread across India. And, uh, uh, they have seen a huge amount of um, improvement in the quality and the and the speed with which the solution is getting deployed uh, uh, almost uh, within uh, last two months. So that's that's the smallest size uh, uh, team. Okay. Wow, that's a great story. So in the last couple of months, um, this team that's you know only a, a a handful of people were able to stop worrying about the DevOps stuff and just use your platform. That's, that's the thing that's kind of kneeling at my head. It's like, why isn't everyone who doesn't already have DevOps use, use this, right? And let me, let me explain a little bit more about that because, um, you know, say 20 years ago, uh, we started out with, you know, snowflakes and everyone just manually SSH into a box and made some changes and disaster recovery was hoping you had backed up the bash history, you know, so you could rebuild it manually again. Uh, and we've come a long way in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, but I, I, I just can't understand that. Uh, and this is kind of a personal thing of like a lot of places, I know startups here locally in Utah where I'm based who they're like, oh, we don't really need DevOps yet because we're a small team. We're less than 15 people. Um, and so my, my question, I guess where I'm kind of going in the direction of this question is um, you guys do have such a great, you know, default path and pattern for people that gives so many things out of the box. Um, why aren't people just beating down your door at this point? Getting it is it just that we need to keep getting the word out, and then would you be able to handle it if suddenly a thousand small businesses all wanted to use your platform 
and uh, you know, what kind of support would they get? I guess it's a two-part question. Is like, um, what? Why is DevOps not adopted? Uh, not just the cultural change, but the technology changes. And then uh, let's dig into the, the second part of that question later, which is um, how do we, oh, the second part of the question, sorry, is the second part of the question is essentially how do you uh, handle, when someone comes on the platform, they may not have very many DevOps players in their cast, right? Um, are you augmenting their staff with just software or do you also have like, um, a support contract or you kind of, I mean, am I getting, maybe that's a cat out of the bag and you guys want to go that direction and you don't have to answer that question. But, but it seems, it seems to me like uh, that is like a, the next logical extension for me. I'm asking yes, too many so, questions. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I think to answer that question, we want to, you know, one of the things that we understood about ourselves and, and, it, and it happens with a bit of, you know, introspection about what we want to do also, right? Uh, and we want to remain, I, I was a services company, right? Um, we are a product-led services company. And once we realized who we are, that we want to help companies build great products by offering a service to build that product. And over the years, we've built multiple accelerators, whether it is within compliance, whether it is design system language, whether it is a microservices library or, or, or a generator that we've created. We created all these products for ourselves to provide a better service. AutoOps was also an amalgamation of all these products uh, that we created, all these accelerators and third-party tools, etc., to actually create a DevOps engine or, a, or like we got like what we like to call it a software factory, a DevOps software factory, right? Uh, that we are able to create. Um, again, creating it for ourselves to provide a better service. The, the, the few examples that we've had where companies have onboarded it as a product to use for themselves has come out of relationships we have with the senior management or with the founders or with the uh, technologists with that company. But we've not really gone out to answer your question is why are people not knocking at our doors to use our ops? Uh, is the reason that we've never sold our ops as a product. We, we've always looked at it as a service. And the people who know it and, and who actually discovered the power or the benefit of our ops, right, um, are able to ask us, saying, "Hey, can we can we also use this? Can you can you help us to set this up?" And I mean, we've done that. So uh, those those examples are are, are one and off uh, in few between. And I don't know in the future whether whether we open up uh, our ops as a product or not. But at least today we are very content and very happy providing a service and and using our ops to, to deliver uh, uh, that service. So I think, and, and a lot of times, um, you know, as organizations look at cultural change, and that's where the consulting side also comes into our business, uh, is the is how do we kind of consult organizations to get the culture right? How do we consult organizations to start thinking in, in design thinking uh, type of methodologies? Because, you know, like you said, engines and, and technologies and tool chains and processes are one thing people thinking mindset ideologies are another and, and unless you marry both of them it becomes very difficult and we, we work with customers where while we are using this to build a custom custom product for them um when we are actually transferring that product back for them to kind of uh, take over uh, there's a huge consulting and an advisory role that anubam and the co-founder nilesh Parki often have to play with those companies to ensure that that is seamless and to ensure that it continues in the manner that it's doing to answer your second question, can we handle thousands of customers? Yes. Have we have we ever gone out trying to get thousands of customers? Not yet. Will we? Maybe. But for right now, we are a services company and, and we are glad and we are proud to be a services company using this product to enable that. Anupam? Those are, those are good answers. Do you have anything to add to that, Anupam? No, no, no I, I think Anurud just, just stole my words. <laughs> he covered the entire story. <laughs> no, it's great. It's, you have a lot of alignment with your with your culture internally. So uh, I will just add into this is uh, we've always uh, approached companies. In fact, we have gone to companies where they were uh, they had DevOps implementation internally. Uh, they wanted us to review those implementations and the processes and methodologies uh, and really help them because something was not working right for them, even though they had DevOps implemented. And that's how we've also consulted them, consulted them on those lines. Uh, if you look at our ops as a product, you asked, like, are we selling it as a product? So uh, as Anurudh answered, we are not selling it as a full-fledged full product. 
But our ops is kind of a Kickstarter. If you want to get quickly started on the DevOps journey and you are worried about uh, will we implement the right DevOps methodologies or are you concerned about that? That's where our ops adds a value because it comes from the house or from the company who themselves uh, develop and create products for other customers day in and day out. And hence we understand our roots are into product development. We understand those problems to the core. We understand the problem of my developer or my tester. I understand my own problem sitting on the position uh, in the business role and, and understanding the outcome. Are we getting the to the business outcome? And hence, uh, it's kind of, I would put it this way, it's a, it's a very strong Kickstarter and it will help you accelerate immediately on the DevOps journey. That's how the product is. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's that you guys have been there as developers originally and, and you have part of culture is, is empathy and being empathetic to know that uh, a developer might want to get this to work, but they, they can't, no, no one of us can know all the things. Sometimes we have to rely on others. And uh, I guess another cultural aspect I would like to put as an ideal for DevOps is that, is that DevOps pe people try to share with each other and then are also trying to uh, build platforms that, that run what other people want to run. And, and so, I don't know, that's what has attracted me to DevOps uh, the, in my journey. Um, and so the, the question that occurred to me here that we could kind of start to wrap up, and I also, you know, I've, I've talked to you guys for hours before this and, you know, I can't believe we're almost already done with our, our, our podcast here. But uh, after, after you've learned these lessons from people, if because ROPS is not ready to be a product on its own. If people are, here's the fork in the road. If people want to come to you guys and develop something, guess what? ROPS is already going to be there for them, right? And they can come and do that. So we'll have all the contact information for anybody who's, who's hooked on this like I am. I don't have any disruptive ideas other than DevOps ideas uh, to disrupt DevOps. So I'll keep that conversation going on with you guys offline. But, uh, you know, I don't have the next great app out there in my head, um, unless it's a dog walking app because I got a new dog. Um, but if people aren't going to work with you guys directly on that, what are the key steps you recommend from the failures and the lessons you've learned? That's probably my closing question. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine. And it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. Anubhav, why would you be? Sure. Okay. So uh, the key lessons for what we have learned over, over our own experience as well as implementation for our customers, uh, one of the area which uh, large organizations fail or, or they fumble up is a uh, requirement traceability matrix, okay, which falls into traceability as, a, as an uh, angle. So what we mean by that is, let's say a, we are delivering a solution, uh, a, a large scale e-commerce, again, the same example, solution into production. It took and me a second to, to catch that. It's re requirements visibility matrix. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, yeah. So uh, let's say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Requirement traceability matrix, right? That's what you said. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think Tyler misunderstood that as visibility. Tyler uh, is requirement traceability matrix. Yeah. What's the middle word there? Traceability. 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 Oh, okay. Requirements traceability metrics, which is going back yes. into what you said about feedback, so that once you yes. got it out there, you 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 can measure A/B testing and and the like and stuff. 
but it, it also uh, starts right from having a requirement uh, to teachers, to the stories, uh, to maybe uh, prototypes, to design uh, high-level design documents to the li last line of code, which also aligns with, if it passes the DevOps pipeline toolchain, it also aligns with the compliance reports and the security reports and the unit testing reports, code coverage reports. So that's something which a lot of big organizations, uh, that's our learning, that they fail to connect these dots. If you can connect these dots together and probably have a central platform or a place where you can discover this, trace this back, then it becomes easy for you to also trace the solution into production and control the rollbacks or roll forwards. And that gives you a real edge, which just also helps you in the, uh, maybe taking it to the next level where you can create reusable assets out of these. So that's, these are the areas uh, where uh, traceability is one of the key aspect, which uh, uh, we observed uh, uh, is something which uh, from our learnings is, is a very important aspect. Uh, the other aspect, I think we, we talked about that, uh, is the, the transparency bit. And when we say transparency, it has to be looked upon from three different segments. One is the development tester segment, which are the actual people who are going to write the, the, and solve business problem, write code and deliver. And then the next layer is the, is the project managers and the scrum masters and the release managers. And the third, the top layer uh, is the actual business, where the outcome is measured, where you want a business outcome. So these three layers and transparency for all of them from the DevOps point of view is utmost important. Another angle, uh, which is the automation, the compliance part, uh, which also we discussed and touched a bit uh, during our discussions. Uh, when you're thinking about automating, what you have to uh, look at uh, into DevOps is what are your core areas or what are your core problems? Because most of the organizations may have some DevOps implementations in place. And that would also be like some of the areas may be working fine. The bottlenecks might be at a different places. So you need to really understand what are your bottlenecks. And hence, you can implement uh, the right DevOps strategies or focus on those areas where you have the larger bottlenecks. Probably it might be infra automation, probably it might be branching automation, or probably it might be just tool chain automated for you, or even the environments. So, and then the compliance and unit testing automation. So you have to really think about the specific area, uh, which may, uh, may be of your importance as an organization. So this is, these are the key learnings which we have found out uh, over, the, over the years where we experiment with ourselves as well as uh, delivered this uh, kind of Solutions or consultation to our customers. So, uh, Anupam, yeah, you could just throw your throw light on on the on the layers of reporting. Okay, perfect. So, uh, when we look at the reporting and and when we take the user persona of a developer or a tester, so if I am the developer, I have two different aspects uh, uh, which I am worried about. Once one is uh, that uh, what I am delivering, how quickly I am delivering it. The second aspect of it is the quality aspect of it. So if I can get visibility into my work uh, and automate the areas for me uh, and then deliver a quality product, uh, I just have to worry about writing my piece of code, which is solving a business logic. This, these are the areas of problems which a developer or a tester is focused upon. And, and the reports, if, if in, my, in my position, if I just uh, I log in into a platform and I see my task for the day, and I click on a task and just the idea pops up. The development environment pops up and I just, I'm just writing the code. So everything else, which is at the backend, whether it's the infra or whether it's the environment or whether it's the branching, I don't have to worry. If that is the ideal situation scenario for a developer or even for the tester, that's a real value add from the reporting and the structuring point of view. The other area, when we look at the next level, which is the project managers or the scrum uh, masters or even the release uh, managers, uh, what they need to understand is how the bandwidth is getting consumed of people, who is delivering what, what is going out in production, and what is causing certain issues, errors, or bottlenecks. That's the uh, clarity or that's the reporting uh, metrics, major, uh, basic metrics, which uh, the, the project managers or the scrum masters or release managers need, need to know. A step further, the release manager can also have uh, control 
like whatever going out into production, if they can control based upon the feedback, they can roll it back or they can pass it on further. That's another angle or a lever which also adds on to release manager. And when we rise at the top, which is the business, which is the highest layer, uh, so we are talking about CIOs or CTOs or VP engineering guys. Uh, what really matters for them is one, are we delivering value as per the business outcome? So when a feature or release is going out, is it going to add value to the business? That's one aspect. From that angle, which feature is going out, which release is going out, that clarity, that's one part of the puzzle. On the other side, uh, what matters for them in the reports is uh, how are we uh, avoiding resource wastage? And when I say resource, it can be cloud wastage, infra wastage, or even people's bandwidth wastage. How can we avoid uh, and how much we are avoiding that and what is the kind of impact uh, such kind of DevOps implementation is giving us at the larger scale. So even if as an as a CTO, if I'm able to deliver uh, a solution which is aligned with the business outcome and in the process, if I'm saving 20% infra cost, or let's say 30% uh, resource bandwidth wastage, that's a huge impact. And that's the entire uh, reporting structure if you, if you uh, make in the three layers. Wow, yeah, that's... Um, so my original question from a few minutes ago was how do, how do people without the platform uh, build toward the successes and the key things? Um, and I can see so much value with uh, what you guys are, are adding at, at each layer, um, having the developer being able to focus uh, and not have to worry about things. The product manager seeing troubleshooting it at a bigger step away, the release manager managing the governance and when, whether things go out and, you know, the, the highest level of management sees the value for business. The thing that popped in my, the, probably the last question I want to ask is we're kind of running out of time, unfortunately, is, um, has there ever been a case where you've had people um, come back and say, this has helped me know whether or not I need to hire people? Because a lot of times, you know, like I, I'm at a company where it's kind of like, do we hire somebody or do, or does everyone just kind of try to reprioritize things and, and juggle things, you know, do, do the best we can with what we have. But, uh, but when we have to make a case to hire somebody, they need visibility, they need reports, they need metrics and all kind of stuff. Have you ever had a customer come back to you and say, this really helped me know that I had too many engineers, unfortunately, or, or not enough? Uh, so yeah, so absolutely. In in our, uh, you you actually raise the right point. Uh, in some of our uh, experiences working with the customers, uh, what we observed is uh, uh, we we uh, we uh, consulted them on this DevOps approach. We helped uh, deploy this platform and automate their solution deliveries. And later they came back uh, asking questions like, "Hey, because of this platform, in fact, we have got a, a, a visibility." And transparency that we need these kind of resources, uh, maybe full stack, uh, full stack resources, or maybe a couple of really engineers uh, which can uh, take control of this platform. And using this, they can actually help uh, fasten certain delivery processes. So uh, uh, what we have observed is uh, yes, uh, this platform also helps reduce your uh, efforts and wastages at certain uh, level, and it also gives you some visibility. Uh, uh, where uh, you require more resources in certain specific core areas. And that's how I would put it. So uh, to, to sum it up, uh, what has happened is, uh, like what we have observed is uh, accountability is also something uh, which is very key, uh, key, uh, key uh, uh, parameter when it comes to DevOps implementation done right. And when we say accountability, it is not just the accountability of the release manager, but we are talking the entire chain, whether it's the the business analysts, UI US guys, uh, product managers, the developers, QA, release managers, end-to-end. -end. So together as a team actually adds a value in DevOps transformation. So uh, maybe Anil is going to add something on top of this. No, I, think, I, think, I think you've answered it well. And I think what, uh, you know, Tyler, what we are, what we are really seeing is that uh, as we talk to, and, and you know, uh, Anupam really connects with a lot of people across the world in terms of technological, that's as an organization, we always are trying to pick people's brains. And, one of the things that we are that we always find is that DevOps slowly is moving from something that's you know good to have to must to have type of category, right? And and it's becoming a, a standard uh, across 
many organizations and and many uh, tech builds. Um, obviously, you know the the current pandemic has accelerated that. Uh, uh, you know, remote working scenarios of of people working and 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 teams spread across you know omnipresent locations has has definitely accelerated uh, that view. And I must say. Uh, you know, for our for even for the white paper, we had uh, you know Mr. Savinder Puri, who's a who's a global DevOps ambassador, who was gracious enough to write a preface for us. And I wanted to kind of just give a quote from that because that really he, he sums it up so well uh, in terms of what he says. He says, you know, DevOps doesn't fail in organizations; organizations fail DevOps. And 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 that's really what sums it up. That at the end of the day. Are we spending more time in training our people on the tools of DevOps, or are we first stepping back to help them to understand the DevOps philosophy and change their approach towards how they're going to problem solve and how they're going to develop, and then thereafter introduce these tools. And maybe somewhere that chronology has gotten a little bit uh, misunderstood, and and hopefully uh, automating that chronology through our ops helps organization understand that, and and, and hopefully we can make slight. Uh, a change in the technology landscape by you know by by talking to people and and, and delivering the type of uh, products that we that we do to help help organizations learn not the fact that they have to use DevOps I think they understand but how to use DevOps and what not to do I think those are also very very important key things that we that we are on a journey to explain. Wow, that's excellent. I think I think we have to close there simply because we're out of time. But um, this has certainly been my favorite episode. Uh, I've only done, you know, maybe eight or nine, um, but I could retire on top right now because honestly, I, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing, and uh, I, I think you're, you're, everything is in the right place, and um, that's why I really wanted to have you here on the episode. Um, what I would like people to to learn is that we will put some resources, even if there isn't software right now that people can go and download and install on their, uh, you know, on some VM somewhere and turn it into an appliance. It's not there now, but they need to keep an eye on IRO. Uh, it's spelled I-A-U-R-O. I can't pronounce it very well. You guys pronounce it a little bit better with a better glottal stop. Us Americans try to smush everything together. I don't know what it is. But uh, but yeah, uh, we'll have links in the in the show notes here after the after we do some picks to close out the show. Um, but I would definitely recommend everyone check out their blog, check out their articles on LinkedIn, um, and, and see that because I really admire what they're doing and, uh, think that they've built a great template for, for everyone that's, that's passionate about DevOps like myself to learn from and to, you know, hopefully even eventually contribute to that we can, uh, as you guys grow and, and mature and your reach grows as well. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and switch over to the end of our show, unfortunately, and uh, talk about picks. Um, so I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys here, and then I'll, I'll go last. So uh, Annie, do you have any uh, picks for us this week? Yeah, I, I, the white paper uh, is a good pick. I think we want to kind of uh, let people read that. Uh, what we want to announce is that if you, I mean, even in the show notes, once you see the, the website of IRO, we now hosted this white paper on the homepage, knowing that this spot, you know, that we are doing this podcast with you, Tyler. So people can easily download that. Um, and what we realized is that, you know, instead of, instead of talking about, you know, the benefits and advantages and all of those things, we our white paper is interesting. It talks about, uh, you know, why DevOps fails. So uh, we're talking about what organizations should not do and keep an eye out. And, and I think that's my pick because I think that's, that's something that is important for, uh, for organizations looking to migrate into DevOps to understand organizations already in DevOps to also validate uh, for themselves. That's my pick. Yeah, I like that. It goes back to what you said, which is in there. The, if, if organizations don't want their DevOps to fail, they need to, they need to read through that. Uh, Anupam, what, uh, what would you like to add as a pick this week? Uh, so uh, what I would like to add as a pick is uh, we've covered the DevOps, uh, some of the key successful tips for implementing DevOps from four different angles in our blog series. So that's something which uh, people would uh, definitely uh, like to read through and really understand the successful tips from, from four different angles, which we also covered today, disability, transparency, automation, and compliance. So that's something which I would like to add. Okay, great. Um, my picks this week are uh, this interesting thing. Now, we don't usually do video on our, our podcast, but I'm showing, you know, 
our guests, but it's a it's called I love Rocket Book, and I think I've I've picked Rocket Books before. Um, but what's really cool about this one that I'm holding right now is it's a planner. So the standard Rocket Books have just basic empty pages for you to fill. Whereas this has um, a basic planner in about 30 pages that's gonna help you plan the next three months of, of your life and kind of go through it. Um, but it ha also has the ability to be very functionally erasable. Um, the one caveat I have to that is that I use a moleskin for other notes and things. Um, the way that these are raced, these pens that I'm talking about, the friction pens, is heat. I left my book outside in the heat, and it essentially was like putting my hard drive on a magnet uh, with all of my notes. You can see my notes from earlier, a few a few months earlier versus versus now, right? So it's clearly unreadable if you leave it in the sun. So I would definitely not leave these in the hot cars here in the summer in the States. Um, and my other pick is, uh, honestly, is the, is the blog itself um, for, our, for our ops and, uh, uh, and the website. Everyone should go and check it out and kind of see, see what you guys are doing and, uh, you know, learn, learn more and then kind of watch, watch you guys because I think you guys are going to be going somewhere, you know. Hopefully, hopefully uh, good places and don't just get bought out because some crazy president uh, doesn't like something. Anyway, let's not get into politics. Let's move on from that. So anyway, I want to thank you guys uh, for, for joining me today on Adventures in Podcast. I will see you next time. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you for having us. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.